0: I hate all of you. Jackson Tyler's VoIP Podcast Network.
1: Uh, You can call it
0: the VoIPcast.
1: uh, uh, (laughs) Sounds like my last date. I hate
2: when people talk like this. It's like, okay, we get it, you VoIP what is
3: vooping? is it like vaping
0: no <laughs> no, no. no. Voice it means voice over ip which is technically what skype is it's it not just like a phone call it just it's means a web call just
2: means oh. if you're on a telephone call but on the internet it's internet yeah. call. Cool.
3: who decided that People some
4: nerds probably in the like 90s. 20 years ago yeah
3: <laughs> oh that's weird I'm trying to figure out why my calls are so quiet.
2: Voice over IP is a methodology and group of technologies for the delivery of voice communications and multimedia When was this coined? That's all I care about. Okay, what's the date?
0: What's the date?
3: When I'm on a Skype call, I just call it a phone call.
0: Uh, Yeah, Yeah, but you're explaining it to your grandma, so...
3: I mean, I call it that all the time. I'm like, I'm on the phone with Matt, I'm on the phone with... But I guess I shouldn't call it that, huh? Oh, who cares? <laughs> We're not going to be prescriptive. There's n- Where's the date? There should really be a date.
0: When right, was that? VoIP coined when and minted?
2: VoIP invented.
3: When, when was- did you hear about VoIP? 1989. I've- it's all new to me. Oh, no.
0: This, this is a thing. <laughs> I'm surprised okay. you've never heard of VoIP. <laughs> Don't VoIP shame me. <laughs> Look, I'm shaming it's people apparently my up. job today.
1: It's National Coming Out Day, and I like to voip.
3: <laughs> it's coming out as a voiper. Yep, I was bitten by a voiper. The poison was very deadly, uh, and I got my life saved. I have, in the
2: past, been known to voip once or twice.
3: God, that's weird.
2: Was
0: it a group voiping? Or... <laughs> can we can we have our podcast now? Uh, Let me turn
3: on Audacity. We don't need to do no, that. No, we don't use podcast. Audacity
2: for this podcast. I'm already oh. recording. We have the entire VoIP discussion. Oh. Voip,
3: voice, VoIP, <laughs> I Voip. keep forgetting that this is the podcast I don't Audacity for. Nope. VoIP, VoIP, VoIP. Uh, moist. Ew.
0: <laughs> A moist VoIP.
3: No! <laughs> it's gross when you put them together like that. <laughs> what
0: if I just make wet sounds in the microphone? <laughs>
3: What Maybe don't do my that.
2: band? <laughs> Please ensure your vo- voip is moist before beginning any voip
0: activities. I've got—I've got a whole thermos here dedicated <laughs> to keeping my voip moist.
3: <laughs> Ew! <laughs>
2: uh, you don't want to
0: know what happens when you let your voip run dry. <laughs>
3: I don't know why. That's just the worst. I it's don't leading, know why. It's the
0: leading cause of podcast cancellation is the driveway.
3: <laughs> like I
1: don't think I'm going to survive this.
3: I, I, like, it shouldn't be upsetting, but it really is. Oh, my. Welcome well, anyway. to Trashback to Ratio. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It is the Ides of uh, October. I couldn't remember because... Spoopy Ides! The Spoop Ides. Uh, Sp- couldn't find a way to mix Ides and VoIP, but I, I tried. Just let it be known that I tried for a good three seconds before giving of
0: up. Of all of the low-key internet memes that exist in the world, Spoopy is maybe the best one. <sighs> Spoopy's
2: really Are good. I... Spoopy's it's... good because at some point it'll just become more The
0: accepted. word, and yeah. no one will realize... I feel like it's already become divorced from, like, its origins.
2: It has become divorced from its origins, but it has about three more years, and then it's just what people say.
1: Yep. I don't know what its origins are. I just find it irritating. That's Kyle, because you are old. That's true. I was <laughs> in Barnes & Noble recently, and I saw this
0: book by a youtuber and i scoffed being in barnes and noble <laughs> at all is cause <laughs> so did you scoff because you object to youtube or did you scoff because a youtuber is going to make more money than you ever will writing about movies on the internet <laughs> that's Both. that's yes yeah,
1: the, the reason i would scoff is the second one yeah I'm, 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 well, I, okay intellectually <laughs> intellectually i think youtubers using that as a platform for self-expression yada 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 is very interesting but i still part of me just for some reason rejects them as legitimate and I don't know why I, I just been... find them so obnoxious like actually watching them but so seen... annoying you've seen good videos on YouTube though I watch um, well yeah but they're not like YouTube personalities yeah, except I... for maybe Mike Ragnetta I'm I've not seen... I am not rejecting them as a whole it's just more me being grumpy and old
3: I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody getting famous from YouTube because people watch YouTube just as much as they watch TV. So it's like... oh yeah,
1: I'm not saying there's anything wrong with
3: it. It is
2: not the legitimacy of the medium that I would scoff at. It is just wealth disparity.
3: Oh, <laughs> that is true. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, whatever. It 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 it, uh, <clears throat> it was, you know, it's a thing. I, saw
0: those I do not. Of Captain Sparkle's house.
1: I don't have anything like actually against them, other than the ones that I've watched are insufferable people. I saw those pictures of his house
2: and thought he's going to be
1: have zero money in five years.
3: Whose house? Captain there's a sparkles. There's a Minecraft exactly.
2: streamer who went and bought a 4.2 million house in LA. Uh, Damn. Yeah, which and he's 23 years old. So basically, that means as soon as his like right. Uh, current prominence at youtube streaming dies down he's gonna he's gonna have no money he's gonna do the winning the lottery thing because he's a kid
0: yeah he's a youtuber oh, that's not notch money that's youtube money
3: well hopefully he has like good financial advice and he's like you know i don't think he it. does if he bought a house in la for 4.2 million dollars yeah mean, that's
0: not that's not
3: You could still invest. Like, people do that. Like, I don't know. You wait, and there'll be, like, a a think piece
2: in six, five years' time of all the YouTubers who had a short run, got rich, bought stuff, and then didn't actually plan because they were children. And it's going to be sad. It's going to be
3: a sad time. I think that'll happen, but I also want to be positive and think that, you know, people should, you know, like, have people. If you're that rich, you got somebody looking out for your money. To be fair. Uh,
0: the, that, I don't think that's true at all. That's not
2: true at all. But to be fair, for ev- these are the ones that get news stories. For every one of this guy, there's like another guy that was like, "Okay, I'll put this in a savings account and not work for the rest of my life. Hooray! That's what I'd do, and maybe rent out some houses." This is a podcast about movies. Uh, I'm Jackson Tyler. Uh, with me, as always, <laughs> is uh, Destiny Stadivant. Hello, Kyle Tanner.
1: Hi, I like talking about
0: transmedia. <laughs>
2: Hi, Kyle, and uh, Matthew Marco.
0: I like talking about transmedia.
2: Yeah. Hey. 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 So,
1: just gonna... Just Tangerine is great transmedia.
0: I haven't seen it. I actually, I'm actually like wha- whatever about movies lately, so I'm <laughs> on a movie podcast.
3: It's <laughs> hilarious because we saw like, we watched like three movies this weekend.
0: Yeah, I only really liked one of them, though. Really? Shall we talk, talk about that one? No. Oh. Yeah, I guess.
2: Wait, I thought we- I thought you wanted That's to talk about that one. Someone else go. Destiny, I heard... Hi. I heard something.
3: What I did heard- you hear? Did the grapevine?
0: Did the grapevine? Uh, no, through VoIP. Destiny, <laughs> how do you feel about sand?
3: <laughs> um... Well, it gets everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> saying, like I hate it. But if I were gonna He was right,
2: to be fair.
0: Yeah, well.
2: <laughs> we make fun of him for that, but he's
0: right. Who it's not they? that he's wrong; it's that the line is the one of the most stunningly, <laughs> like uninteresting, unromantic things ever. It's the worst Wait, line you what can are we feed talking someone. About? We are We're talking about... about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clone. Bum, ba, bum, uh,
1: ba, da, da, da.
0: okay. Destiny, uh, I...
2: watched that in your journey through the Star Wars movies. I, L- I can't even defend that.
4: Uh,
3: what did you think, Destiny? I actually don't really know. It was not good. (laughs) I mean, I try to go into these things, you know, like uh, with an open mind and just, you know, I I try not to, you know, be uh, like negative because I know that everybody says they're bad. But this was really
2: bad. Unlike the last one, do you think you could describe the plot of this movie?
3: Well, I'll try. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so in long ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> yes. Little Anakin Skywalker is now teen Anakin Skywalker and he's very angry and like bitter because he thinks that he's like ready to be all powerful, but his um trainer, Obi-Wan Kenobi, doesn't think so. And for some reason, they have to go and protect um Senator Amidala. Is that how you say her name? Yes. 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 She's not the queen anymore because I guess they have elections for that kind of stuff. And uh, so anyway, he has a crush on her that he's kind of been holding since he was a kid. And he flirts with her a bunch. And Ugh. in the meantime, she's, like, kind of into him, but she's also, like, you know, we're both, you're a Jedi, you can't have romantic attachments, I'm a senator, I'm busy, there's a war that could be happening between somebody and somebody. That's the part <laughs> I can't get, into, like, all this political stuff. There was just, like, for some reason, there was this Jedi long ago who, like, had this beautiful planet of, like, skinny, weird robot people make uh clones of this guy who's Boba Fett's dad. And <laughs> you knew about that, right? No. Hang on. I didn't I didn't know anything
2: about this movie going in. You didn't know than... about the clones and Boba Fett's dad?
3: No. No, I didn't how, care. How like
0: did she know about that. Everyone <laughs> yeah, knows I about Jango
3: Fett. <laughs> this came no. out when this came out before I had seen the original trilogy. Like I didn't see the original trilogy until these are all three of these movies had come out, all three of these prequels. Uh-huh. So I didn't know anything uh, about that right. at the time. Man. I didn't give a crap. <laughs> and Fair none enough. of my friends were into Star Wars and my mom wasn't into Star Wars. So I had no reason to care. But anyway. And now So for some sorry.
2: And now you definitely have a lot of reason to care.
3: <laughs> I have a lot of reason to just be upset that <laughs> they took something that could have been an interesting idea, like young Anakin falling in love and being, like, um, a complex human being and just kind of turning it into this thing where he's just really, really, really arrogant and he, for some reason, she's into that. Like, he kills a bunch of people for killing his mom and then, like, she's still into him. Like, I turned around and looked at Matt and I said, "She's she still sleeps with him after this? And Matt's <laughs> like, yeah. Uh But anyway, there's, like, this weird cloning storyline, and then all the Jango Fett clones are fighting all of the... Geonosians. What are they?
1: Geonosians.
3: Okay, yeah, those guys. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Eventually, (laughs) he gets secretly married to Amidala, and Obi-Wan is, like, exhausted because... He has to be in these movies. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that, like, the dark side of the Force is now out there
2: being real bad. I think my favorite thing about these movies is that all these terrible things happen, and all the Jedi do is just go, hmm, these terrible things are happening.
3: Yeah, they just kind (laughs) of acknowledge it. They're like, what was going to happen eventually? (laughs) Wow, that sounds
1: sounds like the United States government.
3: Thing. Heyo! Heyo! <laughs>
1: Getting topical. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I can't defend this movie. It wasn't uh, you, even. You seem to... Go on. You seem to understand it better than I do, and I am <laughs> like a, a a little bit of a Star Wars geek, but I will not defend Attack of the Clones, especially because of Hayden Christensen. He may be attractive, but I've stopped forgiving attractive people for bad things.
3: They just put him like his choices as an actor were really
1: weird i didn't know he made choices i thought he was just firing in all cylinders <laughs> uh, like, yeah they're,
3: they're just weird choices i don't think
2: it's fair to put all the blame on him those oh. those lines can't be salvaged
3: <laughs> true and like how no do no, you no, no i don't believe so that ridiculous. yeah
1: no the the lines in like the original trilogy are just as bad well, maybe not just as bad. No, but the but lines in the, the original shows are so sell, much better. The
3: actors sell them. The actors sell There's the something diet. about the seventies though where you can forgive a cheesy line reading because everything was sort of acted in a certain way. Plus the, they also, had characters. They, they support yeah, exactly. They're characters. They're supported by one, actors that know what they're doing. Two, a plot that isn't terrible and confusing. And uh three uh, a plot that isn't terrible and confusing. Like, Anakin
2: doesn't have a character in this movie at all.
3: He's just... And this time he's angry, and
2: now he's a hero. Maybe. And, and then he's, he's romantic. romantic. Maybe
1: he has attachment disorder.
2: But that could... No, he doesn't, because none of this is actually explored. There are a bunch of things he could have, and they could have done with him.
3: Well, I mean, don't. the whole plot for him, or his whole character thing is someday he's going to be darth vader so we gotta make him kind of evil but it still doesn't work because he's just a kid and then like they don't really like the stuff in between the two movies the first two movies they should have filled out a little better because for some reason he doesn't get along with obi-wan and it goes back and forth between like he's either jealous of obi-wan or he's like or, like, not jealous, but he's, like, mad that he resents that Obi-Wan doesn't really see him as as powerful as he is. Or he's, like, upset because, you know, he misses his mom. And so there's, like, a lot of things where you could actually be sympathetic for him. But then you're supposed to also think, like, well, he's got to be Darth Vader, so no. And I don't know. It just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, it's mm. not a good movie.
3: No, it's I not...
0: kind of enjoyed watching Attack of the Clones this time.
2: I kind I of enjoy it. watching all the prequel movies but not because they're good
0: So the things that I would like to talk about are way beyond the scope of this podcast I almost feel like Jackson, you and me should have a prequel breakdown <laughs> episode at some point I would love
2: to just do a, Let's Yell do About that. the Star Wars prequels for three hours We're Yeah, I think long. three of you
0: should do that Because I think that there's like really good ideas on Attack of the Clones and none of them go anywhere but mm-hmm. man, the like four movies they could have made out of that Either any of them would have been good
2: they they the, the they cut really key scenes in that movie as well like there's a scene in that movie where someone explains who uh Christopher Lee is. And they don't have, there's like a line in the film left, so when he shows up and he's like, I was once a Jedi, you're like, really, were you? Hang on, what? That's
3: exactly how (laughs) I felt. Like, I think I turned around to Matt and I was like, when did they say he was a Jedi? (laughs) There's a whole cutscene where they show a statue of him and like, he is one of the lost four, the four who
2: departed the Jedi Order, which is very few numbers to leave this fucked
0: up cult. Wait. Uh.
3: Who are the other ones? Are they in the movie? No, no, they, no. Don't.
0: they don't matter. That's, um, they probably have they novels about horrible. this mythos.
3: Because let me
2: tell you about the expanded universe. Oh, <laughs> no, please don't.
0: But <laughs> by it, we met the younglings. I wonder oh. what happens to them. I uh, they're okay. Uh, I
2: hate
3: them. <laughs> the younglings are just little Jedi's in training, right? They're just yes. little babies. Master that are Skywalker. Being... Wow. <laughs> mm. they're, yeah, they're They're young. They have all the midichlorians. Mm, they it's do. always the yeah, young they children. Have those,
0: they have those cute uh, training droid toys. Those training droids are cute. They sell those. Those are toys that are real.
1: I do like the yes, idea. Yes, I used to have one. I I do
2: like the idea of, like, geefy Obi-Wan dad coming in to Yoda while there's a bunch of kids around going, hello. <laughs>
1: like, that scene could be fun. but it, And the kids explaining to Obi-Wan the technology. Oh, it's like, right. It's like when you teach your, like, older friend... Or your your friend's parent that you they accidentally deleted something on their phone. To like, be fair, they do
2: they do capture in that scene the awkwardness of one teacher coming in to fake talk to another teacher to set up <laughs> something
3: in a class. Um, <laughs> There's that's... also the weird Matrixy the spoon bends you you do not bend the spoon moment of that. Is there? I, I don't know. Guess.
2: That's how I felt about it. I can't. <laughs> I have I watched it months ago. I can't.
3: Zam
0: Wassell. There we
2: go. That's what I remember.
0: Who's Zam Wassell? The he's assassin. The bounty,
2: hunter. the bounty hunter. The shapeshifter at the beginning. Oh,
0: okay.
3: Hmm? You know, I was always dies. A... Yes. Yeah. I, Salacious I was, Crumb. I was always very no, sad. he's not in this movie. <laughs>
0: Don't tease me, Jackson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was always very sad that Aura Singh didn't get more stuff to do in the actual film because she has She actually has a very interesting backstory. Who is that? What's that? She is in like three seconds of The Phantom Menace and she's the one with the sniper during the pod race and she's just standing there and she has a white face and a weird... Oh my God. So what did you watch, Matt? Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you for interrupting, Jack.
2: <laughs> like, we have to, We can't just do the Star Wars Expanded Universe talk because we will die. We will all die.
0: <laughs> so I watched uh, Ridley Scott's Redemption Tour 2015 <laughs> edition a movie called the martian based on the novel by andy uh, weir
1: how
2: many times has ridley scott done a redemption tour at this point
0: i mean he hasn't made a good movie in like a decade so i guess this is the one right
3: yeah i I like prometheus
0: prometheus is hot garbage
3: prometheus it has great things in it but overall is not very well executed
0: one of the most angriest i've been watching a movie is when i watch prometheus
3: like I, I just saw Prometheus so this year. Was it this year or last year?
0: It might have been last year.
3: I rented it, but like yeah, I told I you, I
0: would not was... watch it with you.
3: Oh, that's right. You <laughs> wouldn't. That's why I watched it alone. Yeah. <laughs> don't watch <laughs> I Prometheus. I hate with it. That. I just thought it was kind of dopey, but it wasn't like the worst movie I've ever seen or anything. Uh, I don't. I don't no, know how to not. feel that's, about.
0: It would fine if it was actually like just garbage through and through. It's that it's like half of a good movie and then is half trash.
3: My favorite thing about it is uh a lot of the technology in it and I like Fastbender in it. Oh and I yeah, Fastbender. Like, I'm there. What's weird what's weird is like okay, so these sequels that he keeps talking about, he's like, Well this is gonna be called Prometheus Two and then it's like, Nope, never mind, it's Alien Six or whatever. Like that's the part that's confusing cause I feel like the alien links were super, super what's the word? Thin.
2: Do you know what movie people will not go to see Prometheus Two? Do you know what movie people will line up for? Alien Six. It's not called Alien Six.
3: It's called Alien Something.
1: Paradise Lost.
3: Oh, Alien Milton's Paradise Lost. Yes. Little
1: Uh, English humor. Alien Dante's Inferno. (laughs) (laughs) So The Martian. Alien Gravity's Rainbow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So The Martian is like a pretty good book. Based upon what if we made a, a series of like stranded on Mars stories based around as close to real like NASA technology as possible. There's only like one or two flubs there. Uh, but basically, it's like Robinson Crusoe without like converting people to Christianity, but on Mars. And that sounds great to me. Uh, and it's a pretty good book. And they turn it into a movie about Matt Damon as a botanist who gets stranded and left for dead on Mars and has to survive for. I guess at the start of the movie, four years before they can possibly mount a rescue mission.
3: My favorite thing about this movie. Okay. So how many here? I I know that at least three out of four of us have read the book. Uh, uh, Kyle, did you read the Martian?
1: No. And I haven't seen the film. Alas.
3: Okay. So like one thing about the book is that it's essentially Mark Watney leaving these journals and, uh, You know, he's a botanist and an astronaut So he knows a lot about science So, like, there's a ton of just Scientific jargon that Andy Weir Essentially googled his way into And it's really, really (laughs) close to, like, actual To be fair, uh, not googled He's, like, actually an engineer Well, no, also, when they interviewed him about it He was just sort of like I also had to google a lot (laughs) Like, seriously, because somebody was like I think it was an Adam Savage interview The Mythbusters guy, where he was just like wow, the science in this is really accurate. Oh, right.
2: the myth, but and, I don't think of him as the myth guy anymore. <laughs> yeah,
3: you know, but a lot of people do. Yeah, so I know. For the listeners' sake. And so, like, yeah, the fact that he was just like, yeah, I Googled a lot, and also a lot of it, you know, I read books, and I am an engineer. But it's, like, really, really uh, astounding reading it, where you're like, wow, he really did a good job, you know, with this stuff. Um, so I didn't know that, or I, did, I didn't know what to expect going in with this film... Uh, how it would um, read, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being this one per inside one person's head the whole time, and a very smart person's head, where you'd have to over-explain a lot of stuff for a movie audience. But it actually did a really good job. Yeah.
0: Yep. It, it is a beautiful, fun space adventure. I liked it. I was, uh, I was actually delighted at how, like, it's a really like strong adaptation. It keeps basically everything you'd want to keep and uh, adds a lot of humanity into it. Yep. Uh, I liked it a lot. I, I, I actually think that the movie is probably like a better cohesive thing than the book, even though there's things about the book that the movie just couldn't replicate. Because mm-hmm. half of that book is basically, well, I almost blew myself up. Let's break down why that happened. Yeah. Like everything happens in retrospect. <laughs> and I love that sort of, the- of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. 65% of the book is... Okay, so 300 milligrams of this go into this uh, t- container that I have, and then I have... Like, it's just listing technical manual stuff, it's great. Uh, but they, they have to cut all of that out, because they, that just wouldn't play on film, and the stuff they but do the keep... But the weird
3: part is that when they do go into that stuff in the movie, it really works. Yeah, well, they,
0: they, they include the most important stuff that you need to get across what's actually happening, and nothing extra.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and, and then, it's like, always
0: it's always done after over like really slick montages that illustrate the points he's making
3: very well. And also, the other thing the movie did really well compared to the book was okay. And this is a mild spoiler for the book, so I'm very sorry, Kyle. But I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil a slight thing, uh, and anybody else that's listening. So, like, one of the best parts of the book is you're in his head for the first third, and then all of a sudden, the next section starts. And it takes place on Earth, and it's them discovering that he's still alive. And the reveal in the book, you get kind of emotional, because you're like, oh, good. You know, he's not really alone, and it becomes this sort of rescue mission story that he doesn't know about. So when he first gets in contact with Earth, it's like this really moving moment. But in the film they kind of balance it and the reveal that you know he's still alive is one of the first things that happens in the movie so they balance it really well like the scenes between mars and earth it's
2: it's it's not that the um scene on earth the reveal is first it's that they add an extra scene at the start when he is uh like when they think he's dead that is the announcement on earth that he is dead and then they do all the mars stuff so that they introduce the
3: idea of earth in the start uh, before they go right. back later i think and i mean case. in the book i vaguely remember a scene where he's like saying like you all probably think i'm dead i wonder if they had a funeral for me isn't that in the book i don't yes. remember that. yes okay i'm supposed to be rereading it for a workbook club but i'm being the worst um <laughs> i love how they balance the stuff between earth and mars in the film even mm-hmm. though this the way that it's done in the book is part of the what what makes the book really good yeah as a survival story <laughs> also as someone uh, I, I found the end of the film really beautiful as someone who loves, you know, NASA and space travel and international peace and love.
2: <laughs> yeah. The, uh, cause the, the film makes a change to the ending. Uh, what well, does it make make a change?
3: It's not a radical change. It just adds uh, more. It adds more.
2: Uh, yeah, it adds, adds more to the end. And I, I love the end of the film. The end of the film is one of my favorite things about the film. Because uh, the the book is way more explicit. Just I have this is space puzzle. This is cool. Whereas the film is way more deliberately trying to be this kind of advocacy film for space travel. Uh, I th- and I feel keeping
3: like... it international. Yeah. Did you see it in three D? <laughs> no. No. It would have been pretty.
0: But I did, like I we we typically don't go see three D movies unless there's like particular reason to.
3: What was the last thing you saw in three D?
0: Uh, What did we. Ooh, it's been was a it while, hasn't it? I think it was Gravity, yeah.
2: That's two years ago.
0: Wow.
3: I know. Yeah. Two and we a bit we years don't really
2: ago.
3: do that a lot. Yeah.
2: But yeah. We all, we all like The Martian. It was
3: good.
0: Oh, and it has one of the best meta jokes <laughs> in it. <laughs> it that really I will not dare to spoil. It's so um, good.
2: I hate it. So, mm-hmm. go, no, go ahead, Jack. I was going to say, I hated that scene in the book and the movie. It was great.
3: Oh, um, I liked it in the book because that's how often I feel in in situations uh, where everyone's a nerd but me—a certain kind of nerd. Uh, I th-
2: mean, uh, Annie's character—I hated Annie's character in the book. They fixed it in the film, but Annie's character in the book was the most—I uh, like you nerds with your no one got laid and the blur. It's just uh, I'm like, oh, uh, so, so
3: people exist. Uh, didn't, yeah, anyway. Uh, but- An
0: addendum to my, my theater experience is that three of the four movies uh, that we saw trailers to were based on actual events. And if you want to make me never want to go to the movies again, keep it up, Hollywood, and make movies based on true stories over and over again. And I'll just stop going. So, what you so said, Steve Jobs? Nope. It no. was the so it was the In movie which actually looks good but yeah. it was like based on true events. It's that The Revenant. The Revenant. The In movie, Bridge of Spies and what was that other one that we were talking the about? The
3: Coast Guard movie. Yeah,
0: the Coast Guard one. It was a it was a real sh- And then the third the fourth one was that David O Russell movie which might as well be some dumb period thing.
2: Oh, David O Russell's got another movie out already? Yep. Uh you didn't see any of the last two, so
0: No, no I didn't.
2: Uh, don't don't do that. I don't recommend it.
0: But Um, then in even more exhausting movie news, before the movie started, our theater was advertising, see all three Hobbit extended editions (laughs) over three (laughs) nights. (laughs) And I forgot that there was extended editions of The Hobbit, and I don't know how that's possible because Hobbit already, and I don't even dislike those movies, but they're long enough to make me (laughs) want (laughs) to die.
2: I would watch an extended edition of the third Hobbit movie, but that's the only one. I, what do you? They already included so much extra material that isn't in those books. How do you extend? I am hundred percent sure that, as response to the criticism of how long those movies are, uh, they cut out like whatever dumb epilogue stuff they put
1: in, and I'd like to see what it is. I have heard that the extended edition of un, an Unexpected Journey is significantly better, but I cannot. Um, unexpected. Test that. An Unexpected Journey is already three hours long. No, thank you.
3: Oh, weird. Want to... uh... Okay, so going back to that David O. Russell movie, that movie is also based on a true story. It's based on some woman who's a television host on the Home Shopping Network. Great. And it just follows her life. Yeah, Joy. Why Why is every movie based on true events? Like, I'm not
0: interested. I could read a book. All all blockbusters are based on comic books.
2: All um, uh, Oscar bait films are based on true events this is the rule
3: i guess i don't have anything against true story adaptations as a thing but like it's weird that there's just a lot happening oh but yeah it is it is an oscar bait move
0: speaking of this kyle tell me about the walk
3: yeah i'm interested
0: oh it's trash oh it's awesome so i've seen i've seen i've seen the uh the documentary which was great so yeah, why you why would you ever why would you why would they make this movie though if the documentary exists?
1: Well, the film had been in development prior to the documentary's actual release. So the documentary um, was released years ago, though. What is yeah? The walk? And the walk has been. It's about Philippe Petit. It's Man on Wire, but it's oh, okay, Petit. okay, Walking yeah. The Swim Towers, but um, the walk has been in development since the early nineties, and Man on Wire was done in like two thousand or 2009, I think. Um, And Zemeckis was very much intrigued by Petit's story. uh, And I think it's technically incorrect to to constantly um, say, why do you have the walk when you have man wire? It's technically incorrect, but it is also accurate because it does seem redundant. um, And it's such, I, I seem to be in the minority in... Those that think The Walk is mostly trash because there's, there are, there's a lot of potential for interesting things to happen here like, um, but it never falls through with any of it <clears throat> because it's, it's weighed down by this narration that seems very hollow and very shallow to me um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is playing Philippe Petit and he's telling the entire story and it's front to back exposition pretty much and on the one hand, I kind of understand why they would do that, because they're presenting Petit as a fantasist, as this guy who's really into this self-mythology. Um, but then it, that is at the sacrifice of, like, getting at the psychological or emotional or physical tolls that this particular project was was taking on him and the people around him. And the reason why the documentary is better is because while you have Petit's um own testimony, creating that illusion and constructing that identity as a fantasist, you also have the other people working with him, and it kind of bounces it out and tries to kind of ground it in a little bit more of a kind of realism, I guess. Which the walk is clearly not going for, because it's Robert Zemeckis. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, Oh, go on, sorry.
1: What else? Uh, the The worst... I don't know if I would be as bothered if the narration just wasn't so consistent in the finale, because the finale is him actually walking across, and it's this whole showcase for the 3D technology that they used. Is, and, is that good? I, is, does it look good? Okay, I think it looks tacky. Okay. I, think it, I think it looks really bad. And I need to read that post that Kristen Thompson just posted about the walk, but um, it looks really, tra- really tacky. It, there's, this, um, there's this artifice... That someone could certainly argue that it's a that it's kind of supposed to be a, a hyper artificial artificiality to it, but if the main showcase is supposed to be this movie magic where you're supposed to be pulling the audience in to experiencing walking across the twin towers, then I don't understand why it looks so so fake. And I don't like Heights. Apparently, a lot of people experience vertigo, but it did very little for me, and I. I saw it at the press screening, which I think was an IMAX 3D. And I, The the worst part is that during the walk, there's the exposition and the uh, voiceover narration. And he's explaining to you how he feels, as opposed to letting the audience just exist within that moment with the character.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is so frustrating, because every moment that it reaches uh, a point of where it really could transcend whatever you're feeling or whatever meeting you're experiencing there comes the voiceover and it totally undermines that experience that's disappointing
3: yeah can i just say that i don't think it's a bad thing to have a fictionalized version of something and a documentary out about it like oh yeah i mean having them that close together is weird but like it's okay
1: yeah i don't think it's a,
3: a bad thing
1: um i just i just feel that in this particular instance it does feel re- it does feel redundant because there's there's no added insight and the fictionalization of this particular story um, doesn't really make sense. It doesn't feel cohesive. Does it have anything but, to say other than this guy did this? Not really. Uh, okay. Some people are talking about how it's about this one man's um, ambition. Yeah. I'm like so what? The- <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I am. I am uh, in favor of being, there being, like, multiple iterations and um, interpretations of single things, even if they're based on a true story. I don't usually care about, like, the ver- the veracity of those things, necessarily, unless there's something greater at hand that could be risked, but...
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh,
2: probably not gonna see that then. Thank you for letting can me I, know.
1: <laughs> can I talk about the movie I saw? Oh, sure. Of course. I, I saw Stonewall... Oh god, oh, how was it? Okay. <laughs> Sunwall is a very bad movie. It's like, very, very, very bad. It's so bad. But, <laughs> but like, come on, I'm, get but, deeper. But, 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 um, but I don't want to hold myself above other writers by any means, but I was just... By the time I a- actually ended up writing my piece, um, it'd been a few days, Uh, since the film had been released. And it'd been about a week since people were like churning out think pieces. Um, So I was like at that point, very disinclined to dance on the film's grave, but there's so very little in it. That's actually redeeming because uh, it's not really about Stonewall. It's about this one white cis gay dude who goes to New York and has to have all his little, um, Uh, people of color friends show him the ropes which isn't really ever articulated very well and it's supposed to be a coming of age story for him but i think the primary issue of that particular narrative is that it never comes together it doesn't make like thematic or dramatic sense in the way that he's supposed to evolve if this film is supposed to be about like the collective political ideology of the queer people at the time it one doesn't make sense because it doesn't know how to make up its mind about what it wants to be about or what it wants to say um, and two because it's centered on this one character who is fictional and is thrust into this situation that that is real um, having the Stonewall uprising exist as a communal or uh, or um collective event doesn't that doesn't make sense because. The shift between those two vocal, focal points is really jarring and doesn't translate on the screen at all. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy Irvine is such a bad actor. He's so <laughs> bad.
3: I have a it's... question. Yes. Did they address Judy Garland at all? Like her death yes. or anything? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do there's... they make it mysterious that she's linked or do they make it explicit because that's one of the things that really bothers like that's a it, it, I'll go into it after you tell me.
1: Um I'm very very interested to hear what you're going to have to say about that but there's the character that is loosely based and kind of a composite of, um Silvia Rivera and Rick Castro uh comes in at one point um saying how they need cigarettes. Um, because Judy Garland just died, and they want to go to the funeral, um, but it's—I don't think the link is explicit. It, that's just kind of thrown in as like a random historical anecdote. And I think what's mildly interesting about the film is that the 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 veracity is obviously um, very much uh, up for contention and mostly inaccurate. But there are there there are little things that are. Accurate, like, little details. The chant that they were um, throwing at the police uh, the the police on the street. Um, the thing that was written on the wall of the Stonewall Inn. Those little things are accurate, but it's funny that they should pay attention to that, those minor details and then be unable to capture the actual atmosphere very well. Or the people
3: that were actually or the, there.
1: Or the people that were actually there. And the people... That they try to insert that are supposed to be quote-unquote inclusive. They're window dressing and they don't really do anything. They're, they're uh, inessential texture. Yeah. They're tokens. Uh, um,
3: yeah. Oh, my Judy Garland thing was just like how you know, that one is like uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just flat out say I'm stealing this from Karina Longworth, but like mm-hmm. Uh, You know, like, most of those uh, people that were responsible for those riots in real life were, like, kids who probably would have regarded Judy Garland as, like, a dinosaur and wouldn't have been that into her. And um, also, um, then there's some people that, like, directly say that, like, this was why this happened, like, they lost their icon and da-da-da, but I think that's more mythologizing. Mm-hmm. And also making a, m- making it about this like white cultural icon that I yeah. just don't think works if you really think about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I just thought that was interesting and I just wanted to ask if that had anything to do with it. But uh, uh, thanks for skiing that movie and talking about it because I did want to hear somebody's <laughs> opinion.
1: <laughs> I, there's a part of me that feels that, that is really fascinated with The film's existence and how it was received and what its legacy will or will not be because i'm very ambivalent about these things i'm very less very disinclined to like jump on like oh this is gonna be a horrible thing or oh this is gonna be a great thing um because i don't know i that's just not my style uh like i was very ambivalent about the hbo adaptation of the normal heart because uh it had the potential to reign reignite conversations about hiv aids and uh, the aids epidemic in the 80s but is also very whitewashed um and this is kind of the same issue it's also just a bad movie and I, i'm fascinated that so much could go wrong with this it's marketing the the press tour roland emmerich said some really stupid things on his press tour and he kept putting his foot in his mouth and kind of what felt like a very blind devotion from its cast. Or, I mean, they're paid to do that. But it felt... Yeah. It felt very... It, my it, problem... It walked sorry. The line of Sorry. It walked the line of inauthentic and authentic. they gone?
3: Oh, my problem was just that, like, every time there's a mainstream uh, movie that claims to, like, encapsulate this sort of gay experience, whether it be historical or modern, it's always it's just always mired in these tropes that I feel like are really tired. Like, it's either mm-hmm. the AIDS story or the coming-out story, and it's like, come on, there's more to that life right. th- than that. And that that's getting real old. Because who is that for? That's not for actual gay people. That's for right. street people. Like, that's... And they've got enough of that. They have enough yeah. of that. So it's, it, it, I find it really tired and lazy.
1: Yeah, I, I very much agree. Um, and I don't like i don't like the idea of having to use films as a pandering educational tool
3: for right about uh, films about a marginalized group yeah especially like come on
1: yeah and i think what's interesting um i feel that there's this baby steps method that i think that we can throw away now but we're still very much attached to and i think uh, matt and i got into um a little bit of a debate uh on Twitter, um, and I would argue that something like Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, is slightly more progressive in its handling of gender and sexuality um, and identity than Stonewall. Um, that's certainly up for contention, but
3: I, I really like Wong Fu, but I don't know. I, I I don't know what your debate was, but I don't know if I could argue for it or against it in that regard because I feel like that movie, it, it <sighs> its characters are like punchlines. But me, personally, that movie is sort of just, like, a special place in my heart as a funny movie about people learning to understand one another, but...
0: Also, to be fair, it was Tuong Fu and The Birdcage, and I think The Birdcage is, like, one of the most dated, regressive bullshit things ever.
3: (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing. They're both embarrassing in their own way, but uh, I don't really care much for The Birdcage. I think it's kind of dumb.
0: (laughs) Mm. and like the thing is like i actually enjoy the birdcage but like in terms of its politics it is incredibly dated and i feel like it gets like so much wrong how like there's a whole sequence of that movie that jokes about these gay guys having like naked boys on their plates as like just a hilarious thing that they have
3: yeah yes and i feel like that could be handled in a way that might be like you could do a comedy like a fish out of water comedy about these weirdo uh, straight people getting to meet these people they don't understand and they're over uh-huh. the top but it's like when those are your, it, your only examples of gay people in cinema it's like Bleh. Yes.
1: yes um, I'm, I'm treating subjective I'm treating subjective reactions to this this kind of subject kind of like inflation um, which isn't maybe fair or accurate but I just think that Stonewall is just so repressive
0: and so sure. I that. Think, I think my argument was that mainstream cinema has never gotten this stuff right
1: right no. and I nor have they gotten um, stories of um, other marginalized groups correct like we had The Help and that was what 2013
4: yeah it's like Mainstream
2: um, cinema can't even get like a woman to lead a Marvel movie, so the idea that they could tell an actual honest story uh, about this queer experience is like
1: fifty-seven steps removed from where things are. I have I had this very yeah. unpopular opinion when the Stonewall controversy was going around, and I was like, maybe I'm fine with Hollywood not touching this subject for a long time. I mean, I yeah, prefer it's not that personally. them. It's
3: not for. It's not for them to try to translate. We should leave it up to someone else because Hollywood will always be the straight white industries so yeah maybe like leave those stories alone because on some level i also have this frustration
2: in other areas where there's so much focus on are these terrible industries getting representation right when we could just be looking at alternative works
1: yeah spending Mm -hmm. but also
3: i was just saying that you know like it's it's hard to argue this in 2015 but it's also like you know when you're a kid, all you have is Glee, or all you have uh, is uh, uh, no! <laughs> all you have is uh, Stonewall all you have is, you know, like you don't really have the movies that speak to something in you, and so you'll, you'll take all of it in, hope, and, and I just hope that the younger generation is seeking out the more uh, fringy works as far as these narratives are concerned, and mm. I think that's easier to do nowadays than it was when I was a kid
2: Oh yeah, like kids on Tumblr that shit gets passed around real fast, mm-hmm. like, say what you will about Tumblr and whatever and kids getting there uh this is how to be a good person on uh, but <laughs> it has allowed for th- like alternative forms of representation to spread to the people who need them way mm-hmm. better than it could a decade ago
3: yeah and 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 not from like those yucky mainstream channels that do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, everybody will have their, uh, people, like, there are reasons to appreciate Kurt from Glee or, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a stereotypical black character in, uh, like, recent media that people were kind of icky on. But, you know, just those types of characters, like, people Um,
1: always have their and
3: the mm-hmm. black character and mean are on the dying girl
1: none of us have seen that
3: I haven't seen yeah. it but I hear things I've heard <laughs> things, <laughs> and right. yeah maybe somebody will get something out of that so it's interesting that's it's that's definitely... what I.
1: That's my perspective oh. as well
3: yeah but I'm, I'm, I'm still going to be critical of that like I'm not going to just mm-hmm. forgive it but I think that you know there's a reason why certain things will hold up in a certain culture's mind's eye because it's like well it's all we had so we love it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm.
2: I get that. Uh, that went on a while. I guess I should quickly say the films I watched. I had a bunch of stuff, but I'll be quick because we need to go into our film club. Uh, I, in the time since the last podcast, I have started a film course at university and watched a bunch of films. So good job, me. Yay. Uh, to th- I'm looking at the list of what I watched in the last month. Uh, like, I've watched Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. That's fucking terrible. Don't do that. I like that movie. People told me it was good. You were so wrong.
3: I don't remember it well, but I remember liking it when I saw it way back when on VHS. Probably because I hadn't seen many other movies? I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just, no, no, thank you. Uh, but the I guess the movies I want to talk about is... Uh, the other day I watched The Shining and then Room 237. So, I, I love
3: the shining i don't care what anybody says i don't care uh i like yeah, there are people who don't like the shining i oh, have man, a I just,
0: tumultuous relationship with it i Stephen I, king I fans I don't like really it.
3: care for it like steven king
0: himself does not like
3: it so yeah exactly yeah, like Stephen King's i attached just attached to the work well like i, I can't um, blame him for that <laughs> he, well yeah no he has every right to feel the way he feels about it yeah but. With uh, *Badland* girls co-host Ria Dahauer about whether or not it was a good adaptation and whether or not the film is creepier than the book. Like we had this huge argument about it, and like she just found it to be radically different than the book, and I don't agree. Like, I mean, it's been a really long time since I've read it, but I'm like, the major stuff is in there, but it's also, you know, saturated in Kubrick will be Kubrick. Yep, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I was expecting it to be terrifying.
2: It wasn't as scary as I expected. Uh, it's still <laughs> creeping me out because the, the image, some of the images are just really unsettling. But mm-hmm. it the the first half of the film suggests something far more horrifying than what that film actually is. Uh, I
3: think the suggestion stuff is probably my favorite thing about it. Like all the weird. Implied yeah. terror is what makes it so effective, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, because it's like this could go anywhere, and then it just goes, "Oh, Jack Nicholson's gonna stab you." Uh, and uh, yeah, him
3: chasing her is not, not where the the true legacy of that movie lies. What, what's up with the guy with the in the bear suit?
2: I don't know. Shining, am I right, <laughs> ladies? <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but then I watched. A, there's not. There's, You've seen The Shining probably, so it doesn't... Anyway, uh, I watched Rune 237, which is the documentary about The Shining, with all the interpretations of The Shining that people have. It's I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all.
3: I heard that it wasn't very good, because it doesn't really focus on what it claims to be about very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
2: because well, like, my, well, my problem with it is that it is this film about all these people with these different interpretations of the sharing, uh, with all these different things that they take from it and these things they project onto it, but instead of being about those people and about their obsessions or their need, for, like, what this means to them, it doesn't humanise them in any way. There's no shots of them. It's just... Uh, that is just constant shots of The Shining with diagrams and frame freezes and stuff. So you are in there. There's no distance to actually analyze the people. There's no uh, lens through which to examine the things they're meant to be examining. It's just four inter-spliced YouTube essays on what The Shining really means. And I don't know. No, thank you. No.
3: To me, it's like that movie is not that mysterious as to what the meaning is.
2: Well, let me tell you. Neil Armstrong uh did not know Stanley Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing
1: I do think it is an examination of what people take from film and project onto it and maybe it would be improved if there were shots of the actual people but I think the disassociation the um just having the voiceovers I think creates an interesting effect
2: I don't know I know, I, I just felt like it it placed these people's ridiculous viewpoints there without any commentary so like you can read into that or
1: you will but it didn't make the fit like there wasn't any but i think if you make commentary then you're condescending to them
3: yeah there is a risk of that like i saw this documentary called i think we're alone now which was about people who were i'm just gonna use the word obsessed with the pop singer tiffany who of course was a famous teenager who sang that song in the 80s and it was just about like why, like, they just profiled a handful of people and they all had different, like, they were clearly mentally ill. And the movie doesn't really comment on it, but just the way the film was done you could tell that they were kind of looking down on their subjects and it was really uncomfortable to watch. Oh, for sure. Like,
2: I I think there's a way to do a kind of movie that's like looks and interpretation of art and like the personal connection so that we can project onto it without being, mm-hmm. look at these crazy people. Look at how weird they are. Because I hate that documentary. There's one on TV every other week here that's like, the person with this mentally illness. Look at them. Look at their life. That's
1: a lot of what
3: TLC is. There was one
1: called cinephilia i think and it was about these people who were mentally ill and um very invested in movies and in and it manifested in different um obsessive ways and i didn't watch it someone sent me a trailer for it and i was like that looks kind of gross and mean
3: mm-hmm. way to do this that you won't you won't be gross and mean, but it's like you have to be very careful and i I don't like to uh i don't know that movie really bothered me <laughs> that's how do you
1: how do you feel about like gray gardens and crumb
3: well that's the thing like I love those two movies, but it is sort of a, I don't know the way that okay let's I'll do crumb next, but like okay with great gardens. You could tell they really liked their subjects. They respected them. They lived with them. They took care of them. Like, there there, there was this sort of... Um, almost like a... It's it's paternal. I'll say it's paternal, so it's not perfect. It is... Com- it's, it's, you know, it's complicated by the fact that, like... It was sort of like, let's look at this downfall of these women who should be rich. Uh, and how, you know, the Kennedys were kind of shunning them. But also... It goes into their lives because it's, it's almost like they, they, they want to help them. They hope that the film gets them out of their situation and raises some awareness as to what's going on with them. Crumb is weirder because I don't really know what the intent is. Like It, it doesn't feel like a look at this weirdo movie as much as it just sort of like feels like a fanboy piece, which sounds meaner than I mean it to be. Mm -hmm. Like, it just sounds like they kind of want the artist to talk about their own work and get into the artist's head at the same time. But it doesn't really comment, and nor does it feel like a, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like a freak show element. Like, I don't think Crumb is on the same intentional wavelength as Grey Gardens. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I I think with those kinds of movies, there has to be, like, just uh, respect of the person. And, and it's, it's uh, hard for me to define because it's like a know-it, see-it thing. But, like, it's I can... It's spon- like porn and terrorism. Exactly, just like those two things. But, like, you can tell when someone is othering people uh, with...
4: And, I mean, health.
3: there's a degree of that anyway with anthropological study and in documenting someone. Like, I think it's kind of unavoidable... But you can't like. There's a there's a definite like tr- dis like there's a weird disconnect in. I think we're alone now. Where we feel like we're gonna show Tiffany even being really uncomfortable with these people, but we're going to follow them and show clips of them on talk shows and and show how lonely they are. And then, like, frame it against their preoccupation with this pop singer, oh, like, that's... and that's the thing. Whereas that would make me so like...
2: angry. <laughs> Sorry, that would I. I can't watch that movie. That made me so angry. Let's just go to the movie club.
3: Yeah, let's just go to the movie club. We, I think we're, we're all f- done. Did we finish up? Yes. I feel like we did. Okay,
2: <laughs> is is we did. We did. All right, we're finished. We're going on to the movie club. Uh, hooray! Movie club time. Uh, Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we started on such a high energy note, and everyone has got very low energy now. I don't know what happened. Yeah. So the movie club this week was Kyle's pick. Uh, Kyle, do you want to uh, tell? I can't talk anymore. Do you want to tell us what you picked and why for this month's movie
1: club? Um, for this month's movie club, we watched "Farewell My Concubine," which is a film by Chen Kaige from 1993, and it's a Chinese film. Did I already say that? Chinese film is part of the fifth generation uh, mm-hmm. work of Chinese cinema, um, and it's about the tangled dynamic between these two friends, I guess, uh, who are in who are in the Peking Opera and who and whose relationship is very much affected by the the political atmosphere that changes around them over the course of like 70 years or or 50 years. I don't know. Yeah. um, That's, that's it. Um, Should I say what I think about it? Yeah, you can go fast. Okay. So I like what's going on in the first 45 minutes. Actually, there's a, there's a lot of things that I wish I liked more about this film. Um, But generally speaking, I think it's mostly unwieldy. like, there, there's a certain sadomasochistic element that I think is very interesting and and very moving and eerie, I guess. And the way that that's kind of uh, explored through an explicit way in terms of how they're trained at the, at the opera house in the opera troupe, as well as how it's expressed through the friendship that the two characters have. Uh, Who are they? They're um, uh, uh, Cheng Diye. Di um, and Duan Zhao Lo. I took four years of Chinese, and it was completely wasted on me. <laughs> so, um, so the pronunciations are like sort of correct, but not really. And the, I guess uh, the way that gender plays in this film is kind of interesting to me, but I think it's often muddled past the 45-minute mark. And part of me is like, how could this, it, there's this one line that Dia, Dia has to learn, and it's like, um, I am by nature not a girl, something, something. And he keeps messing it up. And I'm like, how could you mess up that line if, every time? That frustrated me. That was just a personal bomb. <laughs> yeah. they're, 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 yeah, I,
2: I, I assumed at first that was like, he was doing that on purpose. Huh. Like I assumed the whole thing like was playing into this character and their relationship with gender or whatever, and they were refusing to say that, but then, by the end of the movie, I was like, "Oh wait, no, he just couldn't do it. what
1: I was very confused,, uh-huh. yeah, there's some really gorgeous cinematography sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but the way that they want to articulate how their friendship is refracted through the the constant political change is just too much for this film but I think what should also be acknowledged is that the minute that the version that is on Netflix at least the one that I watched is 20 minutes shorter than the one that was screened at the Cannes Film Festival oh really? won the Palme d'Or yeah so that that may or may not have an impact on like our final that's the uncut version right
2: yeah no the okay. one on the one on Netflix is the uncut version really? yeah Yeah.
0: Okay. Yep. I don't know how to do math then uh, yeah. And maybe it was just a bad movie. Or not a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanna I wanna go next. Yep. I, I really didn't like this movie, and part of it is personal taste. I really hate like these kind of period melodramas set against the backdrop of like some sort of point of history. Like just across the board, I can't think of a single one that I'm like particularly fond of. But specifically with this movie, and I think it's kind of like just a part of the genre. So much of it is based on juxtaposing the like human story against the backdrop of like civil unrest or changing uh, governments or war or whatever. And the idea is that that juxtaposition in and of itself says something. And I don't think it says anything in this movie. Like, this movie's content to give you, like, things that could be a talking point, but then never actually commit to talking about any of it. Like, there's the gender stuff that it sets up, and it never comments on that. There's this idea of these two actors as, like, the couple of this son that, like, grows up to rebel against them. As, like, China itself is, like, going through this turmoil, but it never actually talks about that in, like, a real thematic way. Uh, the, like, love triangle is, like, there to be the most melodramatic. But outside of one or two scenes, like, nobody ever talks about the themes of that stuff or, like, confronts each other in a real interesting way. And
1: well, no, go on. Sorry. So, I'll, I'll, okay.
0: for me, like, like, I know this is based on a book and maybe that has something to do with it. But in reality, like, I feel like it's just a lot of, like, very pretty and often, like, very like surface interesting pieces moved around a giant chessboard to like evoke interest but there's nothing there to hold on to that i think is like worth your time or consideration this is like an important film is baffling to me
3: i like it as a examination of those politics and how they affected the chinese opera specifically when communism came into vogue and how it was really hard to keep that style of performance authentic to its history when, you know, everything had to be about the working man and you didn't want to, like, celebrate royalty or anything like that. That I found really interesting. But, like, the actual, like, personal story between these two men and then this woman that comes into their lives, like, that just, it, it, it didn't really stay cohesive enough to be um, compelling. And a lot of the character stuff was really inconsistent to me. Like, I don't really understand... Like, even though you follow these characters from their boyhood into their adulthood, you still don't really feel like you understand them. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I feel like this movie exchanges a character's receding hairline for actual growth and development and, like, <laughs> accepts that that is enough to get you to believe that they've changed who they are in the spaces in between, and that's just not enough.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like just vignettes of, oh, this is happening now, and oh, okay, sure. Uh, like, so I really like the bit um While They Were Kids because uh, the stuff While They Were Kids was the most, like, emotionally forward it was before everything became the most repressed story of all time. Uh, it was just, here are these kids in this like awful situation and the things they have to go through. Uh, and I like felt things as this was happening. It was like uh, actually effective as a piece of storytelling. But as soon as it cuts to them being opera singers, and then all the... Until the big confrontation at the end, every plot point is mostly just people standing in a room. Someone says... Uh, something, I'm in love with the other one and the other person just stands up and walks out slightly angrily uh, and I have I don't know, maybe it's just me maybe I don't, I'm not there for st- uh, repressed stories of queer tragedy but it felt like very eye
1: roly and tropey in that way I don't even think it really addressed um, queerness in a satisfying no, way <laughs> because they mm. I think like Matt said there are lots of things that could be very good talking points and then they don't really do anything with them in a satisfactory way and there's so much you could there's so much you could talk about in terms of the sadomasochistic relationship that G.E. That, um, has with opera as well as with his his identity um, and it's it the most it does with it is in the first 45 minutes and then it just kind of doesn't It seems to not know how to approach that without becoming very melodramatic and I guess um, inadvertently camp. I I think it's deliberately melodramatic. To be fair. Oh yeah, it is. Wait, did I say it wasn't deliberately melodramatic? I said it wasn't deliberately camp. Uh, I I mean, I I don't know, just then. But I thought I should just restate that
2: to say, like, it is clearly going for melodrama.
1: Yes. Yeah. That I. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, uh,
2: but even within the constructs of melodrama, like, I feel like the emotions are too. Like, like you said, we don't get to know the characters. They just kind of, oh, now they're this person. Okay. Oh, now this person has betrayed them. For, why? Because he
1: has. All right. Sure. Why not? Uh, and I think the politics of the time that the characters are serving as allegories for, um, it ends up making the film sacrifice. Grounded re- and real and raw emotions, in the latter part of the film.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I, I like, oh. um, Destiny said I am rather interested in the way that the politics affected, um, opera and performance in general. There's so much they could talk about in terms of performativity,
3: but oh yeah, like, I, I do not think they did it. There's as, layer after layer of like there's a lot of stuff that repeats and like you can tell there's a structure happening. But it none of it has to do with character, so to have a really heavily character based plot kind of messes up the structure of this it's like a three part story of one you've got these kids being uh- dr- like you know abused for this art form that later becomes this political uh point of like well one generation gap and two ideology gap that could get both of them in danger and then you've got the son of a prostitute who later there's a repetition in the film that gives way to a structure but it still feels really disconnected like for instance you've got the themes of just opera as a thing and a a thing that starts out an art form to sacrifice your prisonhood for as a child. You you sacrifice your childhood for this. Uh, and then also you've got, like, this son of a prostitute later shaming a prostitute, but who also becomes an actor, which in the cultural context is on the same level as a prostitute. Then you've got the idea of them doing this opera about somebody sacrificing themselves for another. So there's this, each act of this, story is punctuated by a suicide so there is a structure there and it feels cohesive in that respect but then when you throw in all the character stuff it feels like the most distant disconnected thing
2: yeah because it's got basically this like grand tragedy repeating itself over generations as everything changes and everyone like one person like people from one class overthrow the other class and someone rises up and then they are suddenly being overthrown off you know like the guy was in poverty at the start then becomes uh, the symbol of this upper class medium which has to be torn down Uh and that happens but it doesn't like it doesn't seem like they don't do anything interesting with his character in relation to that like at no point do they like comment or on the fact that their childhood was a, like their way of escaping their fate as working class citizens of uh, China. Uh, uh, but they just like, then grow up to have resentment for the people trying to like live as working class people. And like, there's an idea there. There's an idea of like how this happens and how you get from one place to the other. But it just, it's just kind of there. I agree with Matt. It's just kind of doesn't mean anything
3: irony is well represented and well implied like Mm -hmm. i really do um
1: one thing i don't understand it's which is partially because i'm not a real chinese person i'm just chinese by default um that was supposed to be funny i didn't
3: understand it enough to laugh i'm sorry
1: um is why I, I don't understand why actors are at once totally dismissed by society, part of, and yet part of the upper echelon of society. Because in this in this form, picking opera is is base is about class.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Going to see it is about class, and yet you are a terrible person if you are an actor. I do not understand that mm-hmm. paradox. Uh And
3: And I think the movie tries to address it, but there's just something, there's like a disconnect. There's just something that isn't, maybe the book goes deeper.
2: Yeah, it seems like an adaptation of a book that has a lot of internal monologue, uh, with all the access to that internal monologue removed.
3: Or maybe it's something in translation, I don't want to assume, but that could be there. I don't know. Well I bet there's a lot we're losing because we don't inn- innately have this cultural
2: context.
0: Also it's worth pointing out that like the opening 45 minutes is about like being raised in the Beijing opera in a way that like didn't exist at the time the book or the movie was made anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you you look at like, people who were, like, the last out of school. Like, Jackie Chan was trained in traditional Beijing opera and, like, he talks about, like, as a kid, like, getting those leg stretches and stuff to where you're just, like, bent in half until you can do it without any prompting. But, like, that's, like, a thing that's been gone for decades now and so it's impossible to, like, have a, a completely unbiased view of what that used to be like from authors and works who are coming after that stuff has already been through the cultural revolutions of china in the like the last century
2: mm-hmm. yeah i get that so does anyone else have anything else to add about our weird conflicted experience of this film
0: it's very pretty if it was just opera i'd be way on board
2: <sighs>
3: just 90, <laughs> 90 minutes of opera.
0: If it was still, like, 170 minutes of opera, I'd probably still be on board. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good
2: point.
3: I did not understand the ending. Does anyone understand why he decided to kill himself, like, the princess, even though his friend ratted him out?
1: Because he's in love with him still, and he didn't want to live with that?
3: (sighs) It
2: skips 11 years of their life where something has happened and addresses none of it, and... (laughs)
3: Like is to like, the Like they go from like this huge deep betrayal to this act of
0: Nope. Nope, you broke up again, Destiny.
3: Oh well okay, so the movie there's this act of uh, utter betrayal immediately followed by this act of like ultimate love coming from the betrayed person and it just it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe that's a cultural thing. Well the that... the,
2: the way the opening plays is like uh The way they have that conversation at the start is, like, uh, all this ridiculous stuff happened, but it's in the past, and we've, like, reconciled. And then you're waiting to see that. And then at the end, it's like, oh, no, 11 years have gone past, and he still kills himself. It gives you
0: no... Yeah, like, it it is the actual difference between, like, modern filmic melodrama and, like, operatic melodrama. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the movie can't have it both ways. Like, you have to pick one or the other, and it just never does.
2: Mm Yeah. Yeah. Like I was cuz it was obvious to me the whole time that it would end with him uh actually killing himself in like a, that's Same e- here. either in that scene in the same scene, context yeah. as the yeah. yes either in the scene I remember
1: or, the um, I remember that scene from when I saw it when I was like 7. Mhm. In in what way like no, just just the that particular image. I remember the images from that scene from when I watched it when I was 7. The yeah. reason why I, I don't know if I saw, said this at the beginning, but the reason why I chose this film was I saw it when I was younger and it was my introduction to foreign film when I was 7 or 8, so I thought it'd be interesting to revisit it. Nice. This it was my mother, my mostly my mother had these ways of trying to reconnect me to my cultural heritage and what i felt were even at that age very unsubtle ways
4: mm-hmm.
3: it's kind of awkward
1: <laughs> yeah i used to go to these chinese classes and first one time in second grade she had me dress up shantel in a traditional chinese boys outfit
0: I thought you were gonna say she used to take me to these Chinese restaurants. And I was like about <laughs> to lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
4: I would...
2: Well, okay. we that's gonna do it for our talk on farewell, my concubine. It's gets a shrug from me. Uh, there are
1: ideas there. Maybe you'll like it. So, <laughs> I, I maybe I do. I, I recommend it in as much as like it's could be a starting point for a conversation about these ideas it's not a great starting point but Mm -hmm. it's sort of there and it's pretty to look at Uh, that's
2: that's Matt
3: I think that the uh, filmography of Leslie Cheung is full of much better films see Happy Together if you want a, a queer Chinese cinematic movie that is also melodramatic uh, well, it's
2: what, actually good. What, were, what was the point you were making, Matt? <laughs> okay, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much for that. That was trash baked ratio. Uh, we'll do our plugs after Matt tells us what we're going to be watching next month. I actually don't know.
0: So next, uh, I was going to subject everyone to anime, but I we're, felt like my choice was a, a little obvious, oh. uh, and so. Instead, I am picking Ralph Bakshi's 1973 movie, Heavy Traffic, which is the second of his, I think, three rated X animated films that he made in the 70s, starting with Fritz the Cat. Uh, It is his most well regarded. uh, And I've never seen it. So that's what we're watching. Cool. I wanted something a little uh, off the beaten path compared to... I was going to have us watch Perfect Blue, but it's a little obvious, I feel like.
3: It's so good. Perfect Blue it is so good. so good. Let's just watch that.
0: Uh... I agree. We, and uh, we lost us. <laughs> <Destiny,
3: so. laughs> I'm just going to say let's just watch it anyway, because it's good, and not talk about it on the cast.
0: I mean, everyone here has seen it but Jackson. Uh,
3: oh, Jackson, go watch
2: it. It's can, so good. I can pick up a copy and, get, and watch that. I probably will. But
1: let's everyone say where they can be found. Kyle, you can you can find me on the Twitter um, at tilekerner t y l e k u r n e r, and I write around the interwebs mostly about phone, but sometimes about other things. And uh, my stuff is at tilekerner.tumblr.com. Cool. Destiny
3: at Fridge Buzz now on Twitter. That's all one word. Badlandgirls.com and um you know here. <laughs> uh
0: Matt? You can find me on Twitter at Litrock and uh, I run No uh, no, ab- no. What what? You're gonna shit on this podcast to
2: put up a normal mapping and I'm not I'm not gonna have it.
0: I I wasn't gonna show on this podcast at all.
2: <laughs> Look, this has happened to preemptive can't blame me for
0: this i run at normalmapping.com which is about video games uh jackson and destiny are both on it uh jackson does very good writing when he's not being passive aggressive <laughs> uh and you can check that out or check out our youtube channel
2: <laughs> um i'm at Headfuls off on twitter uh you can find me at com, which is where my writing goes if it's not on animal mapping and yeah uh, I also do give same with Destiny, which will be coming back soon. Scheduling stuff with university and everything, but it's on its way. So yeah, good. That's that. I guess we're done. Good podcast, everyone.
3: Yeah, sorry. My internet was bad, apparently. It's okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, good. Thank you.
3: <laughs> <No>. <laughs>